Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome and happy new year. I'm very, very pleased to have um, a guest on this series who's joining me from Dubai, from the UAE. Uh, he's a CEO and has had a fascinating career thus far. And he and I have already swapped many stories about things where we have uh, similar experiences and views on life and what helps people to perform. And I'm fascinated by his business as well, what he does. Without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm Sam Instone. And the very first thing I'd like to do is thank you very much for lending me your most precious of commodities uh, for, from you and your listeners, your time and your attention. It's a real privilege to share this forum with so many inspiring leaders. Thanks, Sam. And, and tell us a bit about um, AES International, where you're the CEO. So AES is now a financial services firm focused predominantly on the Middle East, and we're particularly interested in challenging the status quo of what we see is largely a industry that manufactures and sells toxic products. And it's on my life journey, a discovery that I've made that financial services is an out-of-date industry from the last century. And we really feel that on things as important as people's lives, their financial well-being, their mental well-being, and their health. Financial services should be a missionary profession. And everything to do with the way a profession is structured is very different to that of an industry. So we're very focused on positive change. How do we pioneer the transformation of an industry here many, many, many years behind that of the, the UK into that profession? How do we ultimately help people be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And a lot of that comes down to how do we enable people to make high quality decisions in life? Mm. I think that's absolutely fascinating. And having for many years supported leaders in financial services and working alongside financial services, I think it's very needed what you're doing because one of the big things we thought in 2007, 2008 was the the complete breakdown in the psychological contract of what people thought they were getting and the trust that was going on. And they realized that they were being sold products that were toxic and they were promised that they were something else. And then there was a regulatory body that was vetting them and saying, yes, these are good. We rate these as AAA and all this kind of stuff. And so I think what you're doing is very much needed. And that's why I think having you as a guest on the Inspiring Leadership podcast would be so useful because i think uh, th there's got to be something different from the way it's always been and going with the crowd with the lemmings over the cliff um so for you sam inspiring leadership what, what does it what does it mean and when you've had inspiring leaders that you've served with worked with um what have you noticed about them and what qualities do you admire in inspiring leaders well, I'm spectacularly lucky to have had a very similar background as yourself, Jonathan, in the military. And there are so many 
great examples of good leaders and it's privileged to spend a year at military academy learning just about leadership but i would generally agree with simon sinek when he would say that leadership is not being in charge but taking care of those within your charge and again it's a contrarian opinion but something which the military has very very strong that we are as officers responsible for those within our charge so i'd like to think that lighting the path to get the best from or for those within your charge and that really means that you need to be a leader worth following you need to be able to give work worth doing and create a culture worth contributing to but ultimately i'd go back to military academy of serving to lead it's about service to others taking care of those within your charge to get the best from or for them not the what can often be seen from a more scarcity mindset, a managerial mindset, of it's about being in charge, elevating one, one, oneself. It's about the care, consideration, and elevating others. Mm, I, I think that's beautifully put. And I think that, that uh, quote from Simon Sinek, taking care of those within your charge, is is so important. This uh, this this bit of officers eat last and and serving to lead. Um, but that uh, the better leaders I've seen in business are the ones who genuinely care about others. They're not using them as tools to their end uh, end goal. And that they, like Richard Danner asked of me, you know, Jonathan, what's your life plan? I said, well, I, I don't have a life plan. He said, well, look, you better have a life plan because if you don't, you'll end up in somebody else's life plan. And guess what they've got planned for you? It's not very much. You're just you're just a cog in their, in their machinery and uh, it's not really in your best interest. So, so have a life plan. Talking about that life plan and what's worked out for you, Sam, in your your life journey uh, to, to become the leader you are today and the CEO of uh, a business that you helped create. Um, what, what, are, what, what are the sort of key moments in that life journey that have shaped you as the leader you are today? And what did you learn from those moments? Well, it certainly didn't, didn't start off well. Uh, academically, uh, definitely at school, my but, up to GCSE level, it was particularly mediocre. I uh, was a naughty child, often in trouble and sent home for long, prolonged periods of time. But I was very fortunate to have spectacular teachers at the school that I ended up at after some other schools. And I often think of teachers, teaching is the noblest of all professions because the future of humanity ultimately depends upon our quality of teachers and i think they get little credit for it but right the right type of teachers can really role model and change the complete trajectory of people's lives i had amazing teachers at cranbrook school in kent i remember the individual names all these years later and one of them only retired last year after an entire generation a spectacular amount of time he spent at that that mm. school so very good teachers made a very big difference early on they encouraged me uh my a levels ended up being much better than i would uh, otherwise have expected after my terrible gcse showing in the early, early years i was lucky to go then and study war studies at king's college london i knew from a from an early age, I wanted to join the military. That's the only thing I really ever had wanted to, to do. After uh, 
four studies at King's. I went to military academy, uh, commissioned the House of Cavalry Regiment, passed, similarly to you, passed um, Airborne Forces selection. Having had a lot of role models, and I would, like many officers, say that the colour sergeants are inspirational to you at Military Academy, uh, coming up through the ranks and their energy, enthusiasm and ability to get things done was pretty inspir inspirational. Fortunate to then serve with an infantry regiment, the Culture and Guards in Northern, Northern Ireland. Ceremonial duty, and then my wife, or then the girlfriend, uh, future wife, wasn't so keen on me continuing a military career in around 2003, left the military, uh, and like many of the officers, um, in order to get married to her, thinking of a nice life in London, like many officers didn't really know what I do. And that period between leaving the military and trying to find my feet was a very difficult period. I tried my hand at lots of very different things for a short period, periods of time, hopped to try and find what my unique ability might be. And I was very lucky to end up in Uganda uh, working for a private security firm and realized that many of the private security firms in the boom at that time didn't have an adjutant general's corps or any back office. And so I resolved early on to set up an organization that did all the boring uh, administrative and secretarial type things for security companies. And of course, with the Iraq and Afghanistan war, there was a huge boom in that type of area. We grew very rapidly as an organization in the early years and slowly over a period of time it emerged. We looked at more domestic areas and we began to realize the veil of how the wider financial service industry works and the incentives and motivations, the veil of secrecy on things like insurance, investment, banking, how that can lift it. And we became much more mainstream. And now 18 years later, we're predominantly much more mainstream, although my true hearts are in the high-risk areas in the, the ex-military type areas. We're much more mainstream, look at domestic markets in lots of the areas of the world, and just are fixed on how do we create positive change within these types of areas. And so on that journey, I've had some key crucible moments, I'd say with the, being very fortunate with the teachers, at school, the role models within the military, and then trying to find my feet in that difficult period after leaving the, the military. But I think fundamentally the military has armed me with a lot of great tools and thoughts, ideas, and skills to, to take mm. forth into business. Brilliant. Well, it's one heck of a journey that you've had, and um, particularly, I mean, there's a small amount of people that get into airborne forces, but to be in the Household Cavalry Regiment and also get into airborne selection, only a very, very small number of people do that. So, so congratulations on that for a start. But the fact that, you know, even going to with uh, the Costume Guards, going to Northern Ireland, again, you had to probably make a case or they were looking for someone and you put your hand up and said you'd do it. Uh, and it's not what many volunteer to do. And I, and I do think the whole world of um, security companies is um, qu quite a wild west. And, and the fact that you not only survived in there, but realized the need and then filled the need and 
built a successful business around it, which you then transitioned. I, I like that very much and, and the story of that. So in all the things you've done so far, what would be the happiest moment and proudest moment, perhaps? And then and what you learned from that. And, and what about a dark moment in your personal life or your career and what you learned from that? Sure. My proudest moments are happiest moments when I'm well up and feel my most joy is watching other people thrive, flourish, reach their potential and make a difference and impact. And I think that's the critical thing of I love leadership because it enables us to have that ability to elevate others and help them realize their potential. A little bit like the teachers did where by teaching and instilling better values and uh, within myself. So I, I remember multiple moments of seeing, feeling very proud of watching other people. And the darkest moments would be the counter, the flip side of that. It'd be when the, the innumerable times when I see people turn to the dark side and I see life really like a, the story of Star Wars. There is an evil empire uh, out there and there are the Jedi and the young Padawan that need to be raised through mentorship and wise, uh, wise leadership to Jedi, Jedis, but it's easy for them to turn to the dark side. And I think particularly in financial services where it's very easy, I've seen individuals justif justify behavior they've previously fiercely argued against uh, when the moment of truth comes because self-interest is a freight train of persuasion hmm. and many of the values which we hold dear in the military genuine selflessness and self-sacrifice or the valor that we hold so dear characterized by things like serve serve to lead is quite a rare commodity within financial services i've seen a lot of people talk a good game but when it comes to it they're given an opportunity of self-interest and the power of incentives within financial services which is traditionally the empire turning to the dark side is highly mercenary. Mm. The, the opportunity to make a quick buck at other people's expense and the opportunity to betray the trust bestowed within them by not acting always in the best interest of people. It's the noble times where I've seen people turn to the, the dark side. So it's the count, the yin and yang, the flip side of the same, same aspect. And I mm. think, what could I have done differently? What, what learning lessons have I got uh, to help uh, people be better and elevate them, uh, turn, turn and become future Jedi themselves. Mm. And you make wonderful use of analogy and stories. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of Gollum in Lord of the Rings with my precious and, and, and how they get, people do get very obsessed about making money and more money to give themselves the life and the, the 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 trip the trappings of of success um you know all the things they think will make when i have all this stuff then i'll be happy but of course they've sold their soul in the process they literally have uh, any, any thoughts on that one exactly that i think comparison is the thief of all joy and that requirement for us to wish to compare ourselves to others to not actually understand the journey the trials and tribulations others have been in to get to where they are and the potential damaging effects of things like social media here and the, the culture in the middle east is very different to the the uk there's a very black uh, 
brash show off type of culture to do with wealth money fast cars people see see that and think they should have that themselves and the power of incentives the motivations and and mindsets can really blur in my view people's judgment and comparing people without knowing if they are genuinely happy they just look happy on their instagram accounts or on social media it can really um reduce the amount of joy people can get from having work worth doing culture worth contributing contributing to and leaders worth following mm. now this this resonates with you and i were talking earlier about the hoffman institute seven day intensive program i did uh, and they talk about the quadrinity of your are you in touch with your body physically with your body do, do you know the feelings that are going on in your body with your 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 emotional self your like your inner child you know what does that little boy or girl need uh and what emotions are you feeling love hate jealousy whatever it might be uh the, the spiritual side whether it be a faith or something a belief in a, a higher power your best self uh, and and finally your intellect but i think all too often people move into the intellect and they they retreat into the head and they justify things you know like hitler could justify the final solution and people could justify anything when they're trying to explain away toxic behavior selfish behavior greed and 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 i don't know what the answer is i know i've been lured by many of these temptations myself and i've done i've done things looking back now that i used to have shame for but now as a result of the process i've come to terms with what's gone on and some of the patterns of behavior and i'm now starting to change those but i do think that that your point about uh, comparison is the thief of all joy that success is getting what you want in the middle east sort of term but but happiness is wanting what you already have you just don't appreciate it enough and i'm counting my lucky stars now at the age i'm at that here i am in lincolnshire with my home and my life and my family and our grandchildren the dogs and i'm actually very happy with all that i have now i don't need more stuff in fact you and i were talking about the book essentialism uh, and I'm actually already starting to empty out from my cupboards all those clothes that don't bring me joy. They've just been hanging there, filling up cupboard space. And actually, I don't need to replace them with more stuff. I've actually got enough. And and it's more about being rather than doing. And in fact, from the program, just reaching to one side, for those who are listening, they won't see this, but I'm just showing to Sam a, a little bee, which came up as one of the presents that I got on the course. I unwrapped it and it was it was my present. And, and, and they asked me, what does that mean for you? And I said, I said, don't do, just be. <laughs> so it's a little, little busy bee, but it's not being busy. I'm actually being more present than I am. So I'll rest the bee over there. I, I love it. Love that. And being, and one of the coaching companies I use out here, which is fantastic, is called To Be Limitless. And that, just that word being, being present, being mindful, being aware, being thoughtful, and being genuine uh, does so much to do with mm. the being. Yeah, and 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 part of the exercise I do each day is a, the quadrinity check, where I check in all those four elements. So it's a little audio I listen to about about three to five minutes, and just to be in touch with those things, even to do some breathing, just breathing out three times, and then just doing an um, just to to steady myself and check in where I am because all too often you're in your head in the next thing or in the last thing but you're not you and I aren't with each other and I I've been very guilty of that over my life and I was thinking like well, what am I what are my emotions you know 
don't know what I'm feeling really. It just, I thought I was doing well, but I, I often was so busy. I wasn't thinking about how really am I feeling? Uh, and it's something that people say, you know, and you say, how are you feeling? They go, I'm fine. Well, fine is a abbreviation for fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and excitable. It's not, it's not a proper, it's not a proper feeling or emotion. I'm fine. I'm good. You know, uh, but how are you really feeling? And then people start to, when you really go deeper, people start to ask that. Um, so a bit of advice uh, that you'd give to people listening. You've got a 12-year-old um, son and a 14-year-old daughter, and um, they're coming up to that, that key age of 16 to 18. All ages are, are key, but your son's just at the end of his adolescent stage where your influence is particularly pronounced on the rest of his life and his patterns. Daughter's just coming out of that phase. But what bit of advice would you give to the young Sam Instone, age 16 to 18, if you could go back to the future in your DeLorean, meet yourself and go, Sam, don't worry about this, but that's really important. What would you say? Firstly, that if I could go back in my DeLorean, I wouldn't want to change anything because mm. I'm super grateful to be to have had the innumerable failures and problems and obstacles to over, overcome. So I'm grateful and happy, but for the, the question with my, my children and advice I would give and things which I wish I had learned earlier in, in life, I'm interested in psychology and I like the awareness that psychometric tests can give so that people work within their domains of strength or put their unique abilities to work earlier so they have to struggle less and flounder around or languish unaware of what their unique abilities or what they bring to the world what is their sledgehammer strength and so there are innumerable different psychometric tests whether that's colby clifton strength scallop myers-briggs and i think regardless of which test i'm ag agnostic but earlier an awareness of what you are and what you're not can help people stay in the right lane and bring that sledgehammer strength to bear on the world and make, make greater impact. I also don't feel that the traditional education system really arms people with enough tools around decision-making. Mm. And we are the sum of all our experiences, yet... That means we don't, we, if we don't think outside of that, we can't make decisions outside of that. So we learn very little in traditional education about how to make a high quality decision. The map is not the territory as a mental model or circles of competence or black and white thinking versus problem, problematic thinking. And I would have liked after psychometric testing to have greater awareness around the psychology of health decisions, humans, behavior, and a better tools in my toolbox on how to make high quality decisions in life. Mm. Oh, th this is fascinating. And um, I think of all the different CEOs I've um, been honored to have on the, on the series of 245 so far, um, I think you're probably the widest read around the psychology of coaching and psychometrics than, than anybody else I've met. 
uh, in our earlier conversations, and I, I commend you for that. I wondered in all the different ones you've done, have you done the Enneagram? Absolutely. Yeah, I love the yeah. Enneagram. And what was your type? I don't remember. And I, I, when I say that with people, um, with, with people, and they can't remember their strengths, I'm always surprised. But I, if you remind me of the Enneagrams, yeah, let me know well, let what me, I might have been. Let me, let me reach down. Um, I came out as the achiever. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, very driven to achieve things. Um, let me see. Yes, there's the achiever, the challenger, the reformer, the investigator, the helper, the loyalist, the peacemaker, the enthusiast, and the individualist. Um, Lots of different types. I wondered if you any of those ring bells. Doesn't matter. They were no. no I, I think I they, they do. Maybe the first two achiever, the achiever and the challenger. Yeah, the the challenger. And I'm normally on the red, on disc profiles on the red. So yeah. directing. Yeah. But uh, I know I, and we love it in the the office. Our second core value, treating people like they wanted to be treated with integrity the platinum rule in life and so we have everyone's colors on their computers and mine is bright red fiery red which is be bright be brief be gone <laughs> and so the challenging and competitive director versus yellow who wants to be involved the people oriented extrovert we have show me you care the greens the stable stable greens and i share an office with a blue uh, highly analytical Cool, icy blue. Tell me, tell me more. And that framework allows us to communicate, uh, to understand, or empathise better with the different places which people are making their uh, decisions from, how they're communicating. And there are quite a lot of different books, some some quite comical about this type of methodology, surrounded by idiots, uh, surrounded by psychopaths, which has become a language at work, so that. We can decrease judgment and increase awareness and try to make sure that that platinum rule, treating people like they want to be treated, applies it within the workplace so we get better team-orientated mm. results. And I think achieve, people would definitely say achieving, being highly competitive, they would be my... Mm. Fascinating. Well, um, it sounds like we're we're pretty similar uh, in some areas, but obviously we'll have all the whoever is different in their own area. But I think um, the level at which you're interested in what makes people tick and their preferences and how they want to be treated rather than treating everybody as you want to be treated is a very healthy way of doing things. Um, much more we can talk about that uh, when we chat uh, beyond this, um, which I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Um, what is uh, one thing you'd like to change your life? You could do it again or a crucible moment. You said you, you'd, you'd want to live your life again, but let's go for crucible moments that have shaped you. Would you mention one in particular that that, uh, that has shaped you and, and why it shaped you if you were to, to choose a crucible moment? You said you had many, but if you were to go for just one. One which I view as the most important would be my year spent at Royal Military Academy, Santos, without a shadow of a doubt. I found the year very demanding I didn't particularly enjoy it but at the end of it I would have loved to have gone back and done it again and I having done it I'd be that better prepared to maybe enjoy it or be better at going going through it but I think the just the broad exposure to people who were incredibly talented 
at many, many different things, whether that's peer officer cadets. I remember being amazed at how far some of them could run, how good at public speaking many of them were, having role models in both the color sergeants or the platoon commanders or the, the senior staff. I think the ability to spend a year of my life being surrounded by incredible people and being able to learn and put in demanding situations, which were uncomfortable at the time. But in hindsight, I can look back, laugh, have many jokes and lifelong friends. That would be the crucible, mm. which has really given me, as we'd say in the military skills drills and SOPs and standard operating procedures to go out and do two other things. So difficult year. I didn't enjoy it at the time. I'd love the opportunity to go back and do that again, but that's the point of high quality, good, good training. But I feel very privileged mm. to have mm. had that much uh, time, money and effort wisdom of other people invested in me. Mm. No, it, it's lovely you mentioned that. Uh, we've got we, our platoon, full platoon of Normandy Company, have stayed together for 42 years. We have a WhatsApp group and we've got a wow. reunion next year, 42 years on. We've, wow. had about, we've had about five reunions. It's very special, mainly driven by Errol Stewart, who became my best man when Lee and I got married uh, seven and a half years ago. He's from Jamaica, Jamaican Defence Force. And Errol always kept myself and another cadet corporal, Rod Thomas, together. And then a couple of other friends. And he he kept kept it all bubbling along. And as a result, going, when are we going to have the reunion? And, and, and so we do. And uh, we have a lovely guy called Greville Bibby, who was a uh, commanding officer of the Coldstream Guards. I'm with you. Who, Cam- Cam- who, who, com- who commanded me in yeah, uh, okay. Northern Ireland. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So Gre- Greville was our junior under officer. Uh, oh. We had a guy called Richard Eaton, who works for St. James's Place in the wealth management yeah. industry. Absolutely. Uh, uh, he was the cadet sergeant. I was a cadet corporal. Rod was, and another guy called uh, I think Adrian Baxter, who ended up as a policeman as well. So lovely group of people, and and very special uh, connections. Uh, and Neil Harmon went into the household cavalry regiment, uh, but I don't know whether he was there when you were there. I think he was just a short service uh, commission. But yeah, I think that's interesting. Crucible modes. I went back as an instructor. And I wasn't mature enough, I think, looking back now. I had Rob Wayhill, who went on to become a general, and James Gatehouse, who was in the Grenadiers. And we had a lot of fun together. And also we had, uh, oh, Lewis Bryant, who was parachute regiment uh, logistics, but sadly died in a motorbike crash while we were there. It was the most harrowing funeral I think I've ever been to. Just the cadets and his fiance and ourselves, we just were in floods of tears and a military funeral with the band and everything at Sandhurst of an instructor who has died in a motorbike crash is just harrowing. It, it just stays with me to this day. And I've often visited his oh. grave at Sandhurst when I go back and I will do again. But yeah, special, special moments. Let's go around the Inspire Leadership Compass, which is a tool that, that we use, we find quite useful. And I think it would resonate with your value set anyway, uh, Sam. Uh, moral quotient, MQ. Uh, what, what's your true north? And what what uh, what do you do when you slip from? You've talked about TV and financial services. It's very easy to slip, you know, as as uh, had a relation who was an alcoholic. And they always, uh, when when I went along to Alcoholics Anonymous to understand how to help that relation, they, they would say, if you're likely to slip up, don't go somewhere slippery. Um, and of course, in for many people, you're in a slippery environment at financial services. There's a lot of rewards and incentives for doing whatever it takes to get the Ferrari if you're in Goldman Sachs, even if you're sending, selling uh, dodgy mortgage-backed securities, but you'll get the Ferrari and no one will know about it before you've gone and moved on, had your house in the country. But um, wh- what have you done? And, and if there was one 
one value, just one, that you hold dear to on your moral quotient, what would it be? Well, I would have said my authentic, my authentic self or what makes me what I am would be I am relentless or in a not so nice way, persistent and re relentless pursuit of things. But if there was one uh, value which I would aspire to live by and let slip, that would be I would aspire to live courageously. So it would be courage, a great uh, military, very big in the, the military, because we would talk about moral courage a lot. Mm. Uh, with that is fire integrity or the moral courage to say things. Uh, and each day finding the courage to stand up in the face uh, and face the day with as much hope as, as yesterday when things don't turn out. And I think moral courage it's very easy to eat around the edges and to let slip. In particular, I know that I, even many of the, the moral courage moments in the military, if, if somebody doesn't salute, uh, what, how do you deal with that with in integrity? And I just let it slip. And in the work environment, I let things slip. I don't have the moral courage to speak up and hold people to account. And I often, it's because I would like to think I have good emotional intelligence and I don't want to hurt people's feelings. But that can mean that they aren't clear upon the standards which are expected. And I am fearful of always holding people to account and saying what I really think because I don't want to hurt their, their feelings. And there are other military officers I serve with who are remarkably good at holding people to account and to the standard that is expected. So I'm very conscious in a work environment that I want to be liked, I want to be popular, I want to be nice, I want to be funny. I don't always want to say what I should say, that the difficult things with that is radical candor. I, I don't always express myself with the, through the moral courage I should, which helps other people rise. So a key part of leadership is having the moral courage to say what you think candidly. And I'm aware that often I don't want to because I don't think they want to hear necessarily won't be highly receptive. They're not going to think that I'm nice. I'd rather let a colleague be the nasty guy. And so I wish I was always my on point on courage. Hmm. No, I, I relate to that. And the, there's been those occasions when I could have spoken out and I didn't. Um, the reasons for those patterns of behavior are deep and, you know, go back to childhood. But in my particular case, it was this wish not to be bullied or teased or pointed out as being different and wanted to fit in and, and not be picked on. And so you try and be the nice guy. And looking back now, I think I wish I'd had, like you, I wish I'd had more courage to actually call out uh, unhealthy, toxic behavior and, and not condone it by doing nothing about it and hoping that someone else would do it. That's, um, I, I appreciate that. And, and exactly that. Unhe calling out unhealthy, toxic behaviour and e even banter. The High Performance Podcast has uh, banter as the language of dickheads. But of course, in the military, banter is completely commonplace. It's almost, if you're not putting people down, there is a hierarchy of success and there's it, banter all of the time. But really, 
it is a toxic behavior language of dickens mm-hmm. uh it it isn't about getting the best from or for other other people and having calling out courageously toxic behavior when you when you say it i don't and i'll rely on sometimes on other people to do it or let it persist and it can erode and if you don't deal with it uh, it rots other apples and I wish I did it quicker on many occasions. Yeah, no, so so true. We can we can look back on many occasions, and and indeed, um, it, it became institutionalized. I think in many aspects of the military, really, really good. But there are many aspects which still stay with me to this day, which the banter and the the, the ritual humiliation of someone who stood up for something that was good but didn't go with the crowd. Uh, is unacceptable. Yep. And uh, my son's in the police and they have the same kind of problem in the police and other other organizations, which then get them in, in serious trouble. Fire brigade, the same, the ambulance yep. services, the same. This these kind of these kind of ones where the service to the greater good is seen as the most important thing and fitting in with whoever is the dominant one. But it does tend to attract its its fair share of the white collar psychopaths or indeed uh, special forces get some uh, good psychopaths, as there uh, was in that book, um, with um, you know Bravo Two Zero guy Andy McNabb, uh, who are happy to shoot a few people and blow a few people up and just step over the headless corpse and not feel anything about it. So, what would be the problem for someone like that to just to to take the Mickey out of someone, as they call it, or just put them down or lift themselves up by putting others down? This grandiosity, yeah, that, that, that one up rather than the other person who's left one down. Not healthy, not good. Let's move on around the eight from MQ to PQ, purpose question. I, I was looking at, I think it's called Ikigai, which is this idea yep. of, of what your purpose is and, and and your life journey and where you fit in it. And, and the, this, this sense of a journey, and you're about to do a journey with your son, I understand, and a fascinating Emirati man to go back up Mount Kilimanjaro, not having learnt from the first time round, Sam, you seem to be a glutton for punishment and you're going back to Mount Kilimanjaro. That's part of your journey. What, what, uh, tell us a bit about that, uh, with your son, uh, and also your, your calling, your Dharma. Sure. The, and I love the Japanese philosophy of Ikigai around purpose. The first, the story on being comfortable with the uncomfortable and here in the UAE, there are individuals of incredible wealth and privilege and one of them who has had the most remarkable life and created incredible wealth and success possibly more than any other individual i i know here he each year wants to strip put himself into uncomfortable situations and i've taken him over the years to kilimanjaro before mount maru everest base camp last year just in kind of at the end of lockdown uh the the we walked the inca trail together and of a man of such privilege and wealth to want to put himself into that and to be so happy and not complaining unlike us on military exercise where complaining and moaning is part of it part of the course he loves that being on getting out there being put into that situation this year, very kindly, he's allowed me to bring my 12-year-old son on that expedition again 
to Kilimanjaro. So we're going to have pretty old, 69, and pretty young at 12, 12 years old, walking. And he's super enthusiastic, super uh, motivational, and a great role model. And he, it, it just shows that people with different who have their circle of life and spiritual, physical, health, purpose, and wealth all rolling in a nice round wheel, not just focusing on the wealth aspect or the privilege, or as you so eloquently said, uh, the grandiosity of his life achievements. It is a real inspiration. And I'm really looking forward to March the 8th, hopefully. Uh, reaching the peak of Kilimanjaro with my 12-year-old son uh, just before he goes to boarding school later on this year. I think it will be a great father-son making memories moment mm. as one of my guidelines for the year is create as many positive memories for my children whilst I still have them as, as I can. Outside of that, the purpose creating, I'm very fortunate, I think, to have found my calling and my sledgehammer strength. I'm all about strategic and futuristic and I get up every day enthusiastic, wanting to go and practice my hobby, my passion in life, my ikigai in transforming this huge uh, industry, this unparalleled opportunity, which I see in the underbelly of world financial services here in the GCC into a vocational profession. And it's an infinite game, as Simon Sinek would say, it's not going to end, I'm not, never going to achieve it. It's going to be a multi-generational type type uh, mission, but I can be a flag bearer, a torch bearer, and I can hand that on to uh, the next next generations and enthuse them with the reasons why we need to do it and what impact this is actually going to make upon future generations of, of the world. I'm super passionate and lucky to have found this problem uh, which I articulate as the, the, the Empire, Darth Vader, mm. or Voldemort in Harry Potter. And I think that we can fight on the good side of, side of that and pioneering the emergence of a profession makes a real difference and isn't conflicted, is much more trustworthy and helps people lead more fulfilling lives on purpose. Uh, it's it, it, never going to end with me. So I love it. No, and I, I really respect and I'm excited about the life purpose that you have. And, and as you say, it, it's a journey which is part of the infinite game. I do like Simon Sinek's approach to that, the finite versus the infinite game. And many people are playing a very finite game, but there's much more to it. Um, healthy, wealthy and wise uh, are three of the things which are very important to AES International. Uh, and and part of your your core strengths so let's look at the health quotient so physical well-being and and, and brain health uh what, what about a couple of top tips physical health versus brain health what would you say have helped you because uh, you're constantly upping your game stretching yourself doing things to push the boundaries what what, what helps you day to day Absolutely. So if I don't do, I'm very aware that I need physical challenge and I don't feel good if I don't exercise. I don't put myself under physical. I don't train. I have, like many middle-aged men, a love of lycra. <laughs> and 
So I cycle to work every day I can of the year, regardless of the weather. So again, in 40 degrees in the summer, cycle 25 kilometers there and 25 kilometers back, which gives me a minimum of 50 kilometers or 250 kilometers a week of cycling. And I love a bit of running as well. I'm being English, I'm not so good on the swimming aspect, although I've made a big commitment to get better swimming technique lessons. And maybe one day I will get involved in triathlon. And a lot of people and some of my colleagues here love triathlon and Ironman or self-concordant activities. But I'm super aware that I like physical challenge and it makes me feel good and contributes to my mental well-being. And I love reading and I love time, time with family. But the future for me is about helping people align their energy and the physical energy, which comes through things like exercise or nutrition, their time, their finance, their finite resource, their time and their attention. Are they languishing by watching YouTube, Netflix and uh, social media? What's their attention going to and their financial capital? Uh, So how do we help them align energy, physical well-being and health, time, attention, their mental capital, and their financial capital with what they tell us is important to them. How do we help ignite passion, help them in their domain of strength, find purpose or ikigai? And I think the future of the vocational profession for financial services is about that. And it's not about telling people necessarily, it's about asking higher quality questions so the answers come from within and that isn't an advice industry issue selling things it's about coaching mentoring teaching knowledge sharing ways in which this type of areas permeates finding people super passionate about energy uh, or physical well-being or nutrition uh, sleep i know it's a passion of yours as well how can we make marginal gains or positive changes in lots of areas of our lives and bring these things into alignment around purpose so that people are living a more fulfilled life with moments of happen not about all about happiness but punctuated by moments of happiness the inevitable sadness grief but ultimately living a fulfilling life around being purposeful with the resources the capital that we have mm, I, I love that and, and what would be the one um, brain health tip that's worked for you that you recommend to others I personally am a very avid reader, but I'm aware that my learning style, I look at the VARC, and so are you a visual, auditory, reading, or kinesthetic learner, so the VARC model of learning, and I read. I'm super aware that I've created an organization uh, so we all, we'll have quotes on the walls. Um, we'll have a lot of documents, a lot of systems, controls, and processes, but I've created one based around my own domain of strength, which is I like to learn and I like to feed my brain by reading books. So we have a large library, we have several libraries at work. So we'll have every personal development book we can possibly lay our hand, hands on. If you mention anything, we will get it and put it into our library. We'll have every financial book possibly, but that doesn't work for everybody visual imagery and so when we're trying to instill the why in in people how do we lead 
as why, while we don't need written quotes on the walls, it'd be better to, better to have photos of the people who we help or visual, visual cues or uh, supplements, kinesthetic learners. And I'm very aware that different strokes for different folks from Ken Blanchard, the mm. one minute manager, we need to appeal as leaders to the, the, the different types of learning styles. I'm, I'm aware that if you're an auditory learner, then obviously audible and you can get knowledge that that way. And my, my methodology reading doesn't appeal to everybody to mm. find ways that appeal to the individual. Yeah, no, that, that's a, a really sound one. And, and I'm someone as a dyslexic person who mine is auditory uh, videos and and audible and hence doing the podcast it's sort of playing to my hammer strength as you described yeah. it yeah. Um, and it is lovely with the amount of reading that you and I've done that the danger that we have the two of us is that we've got to be careful that we don't sort of sound like we've swallowed a whole load of management books and we're just quoting these things because of course people will learn how we're behaving so the skill for us is how we're being rather than the huge amount of knowledge that we have already accumulated, but yeah. I, I, I do commend you for that. Emotional intelligence is the next one. EQ, it's something you've talked about a lot. You know it's very important, particularly in financial services, which is a high IQ uh, industry, but low EQ, unless that you're trying to sell something to people. But but what do you do to get in touch with your own emotions? I mean, it's, it's not really good to understand it theoretically, but, but how good are you at recognizing your own emotions, managing them, and then seeking compassion and forgiveness for bad behavior or even compassion to yourself for the way you acted and, and the circumstances you had to deal with? Sure. This area, when I looked through the list of questions, was, was the one which I personally feel I'm the, the weakest at. Uh, what do I actually do? I use coaching myself and I love coaching and executive coaching, performance coaching, corporate coaching, but I feel that helps me look forward uh, reflect. And we often say uh, with coaching, I did the coaching course myself, uh, decreasing judgment and increasing awareness through high quality questioning. But in answer to your, your question, many of the things require us to look back. And I think there's a stigma attached to therapy, but in European culture, they don't have so much in American culture, but the ability to embrace therapy and to look back on the experiences, whether that's the unconscious, many of the unconscious ones we experienced before the age of three, or the ones between the age of three and 13 or early adulthood, we are the sum of all of those experiences until we are aware and really understand those, knowing our triggers and why we feel certain certain ways. And I definitely have trigger points and moments of rage and a vacillating well sense of well-being. I can often feel the world world closing in around me. And I think knowing. Uh, I, I put it on my accountability document for this coming year because I know my coaching course talked about the power of different therapists, which they they had been been seeing, but awareness around these triggers, whether it is the changing parades that we had in the military that have instilled a sense of urgency to me. So I never want to be late and I get deeply uncomfortable if I'm not five minutes before 
any any possible time timeline but understanding why i have these triggers so i feel so impatient uh, i i think would be a great benefit to me and it's not looking backwards isn't something i've done enough of i spend all my time looking forwards which is the basement of i in clifton strengths i'm a futuristic mm-hmm. i'm not good at being present i'm not good at being as we've been saying in the moment I spend a lot of time thinking uh, with my futuristic what's going to happen and that can cause anxiety about the future without understanding your past and i think therapy all the different names that you can put onto people that will help you look into why you think the way you are is the big freedom and the big release yeah yeah uh, it, i was smiling because it so resonated with the seven days on the hoffman process at uh, uh, broughton hall in skipton in north yorkshire and we were all given a challenge to overcome a pattern that we had in our background. It's, it's a fun thing, fun activity. And, uh, you know, someone gave me a challenge, oh, you, you know, stand up and read a poem. And, and somebody else went, no, 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 no. He, he'll, he'll find that so That's not a challenge for him. He lo- he'll love it. Went, oh, yeah, okay. They went, what, what Jonathan's got to do, he's got to be five minutes late consistently for each of the sessions. I went, I can't. Oh, come on. That's not oh. fair. And so... So, oh. so just for a day, I had to sort of like stay back in my room when I knew I wanted to be down there and how bad it must be for the, the three psychotherapists who were running the session for the 24 of us that I was late and I, they were ringing the bell and I was going, no, no, no. And I came in, like, you're not the last. They went, go out again. And I, but it became quite a humorous thing. But I could only do it for a day, a day because it, it, it so upset all that pattern oh. of not being late. Can you imagine how you... Yeah, I have anxiety, I, 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 palpitations, I, I, sweat. <laughs> the and, idea. And you turned up five minutes early for this call, which is lovely. Uh, the, <laughs> the idea of having to turn up five minutes late, <laughs> genuinely. But of course, the marathon I can because my wife is the complete opposite so she would see it completely acceptable to be an hour late yeah yeah and and you of course what you do is you marry someone who's helping you finish your growth and your maturity so i've married a wife who who yeah it's timing is sort of it's a good irish thing it's sort of when we say like you know meet at this time time around that sort of time uh and they have a, a lovely attitude much more relaxed in in the republic of ireland and they'll leave things like leave a key in the door attached to a nail on the door so you can't fall out. So anybody can go just turn the key and just come in, make themselves a cup of tea. Uh, it's that kind of, yeah, just sort of when you said come and see me, you didn't have to be on the time. So, yeah, I think there's there's something about those patterns of behavior up to the age of 13, particularly from our parents, what they call negative love. And you would find that faster because that's the bit you haven't done. It's all that it's all that yeah. stuff, which I hadn't. I'd be always forward focused performance high performance, you know, be the best, all that kind of stuff. You've done way enough of that. It's almost like I, I, I'm stopping doing that. I, I've taken off the Apple Watch. I've taken off the Aura Ring. I've taken off the Whoop strap. I've taken off all wearable tech and measurable device. I'm not measuring every minute of my life anymore. I've done that. I know now, roughly, if I'm training the gym, I went for a, a 5K run on the treadmill. I haven't done a run for quite a while. And... um I wasn't measuring anymore. No chest strap, which was telling me which zone I was in, all this kind of stuff. Now, that was so alien to me, but it's so releasing, so freeing not to judge myself a bit against other metrics. But just how am I feeling? I think that's about it. That feels about right. And I'm now feeling, you know, I had my my 30 minute sleep about lunchtime. I'm not giving that up um, before this this call. But I think letting go of those high performance 
triggers that makes us comparative and competitive is good for our mental health too. Um, CQ, uh, in, in the GCC, you've got people from all nations, a bit like London, uh, such a mixed bag of different people. This is sort of collaborative, cultural and cognitive intelligence, this mix of how you get on with different people. What's the top tip that you'd share, share that about diversity, equality and inclusion? Well, Dubai is a melting pot of expats from all over the world, super multicultural. And it's one of the things I really love. And I wanted my children to grow up in a multicultural, a, a super multicultural society. And there are many things which I love about Dubai, but the fact that it is a melting pot and does have people from all, all over the world. And we do spend our time understanding and working with, uh, particularly at my colleagues at work, we are very multicultural. Uh, my, my tip, I would say, what do I enjoy doing is learning a little bit of other people's languages. And some of my favorite colleagues are uh, Filipino. So for example, Tagalog. I'm currently studying how to speak Tagalog. And I can speak a little bit of Swahili. And I think learning like the Gurkha officers in the military, learn Nepalese with the Gurkhas or the Queen when she went to Ireland for the first time, welcomed people in Gaelic. I think showing a little bit of willingness in order to be able to speak a little bit people's language can often be a talking point and break down barriers. But I love it here because being able to order my meals in Tagalog uh, and being able to communicate with and the surprise which it can engender. I, I love that bond it creates. I'm, I'm really touched by that. Love it. Um, we, we, we're having such such a ball. Sadly, the time is ticking on. So I'll just sure. we'll, we'll, we'll whiz through a few of these last ones, not to belittle them, but just to get the very essence of it in essentialism. Resilience. Um, if there was a way of picking yourself up in times of adversity, what's one tip you'd give people about resilience you've had to show lots of it crikey you know people. sure so i think many of the emotions that we feel uh with a envy resentment revenge self-pity are disastrous moments uh a modes of thought and self-pity uh, whatever the situation isn't going to improve the situation. And so a mindset around the quality of our mindset around resilience and not letting what I would say the, ne uh, the scarcity or the negative or the dark side of our emotions in because they're not going to achieve anything. I love a bit of Stoic philosophy. And Ryan Holiday at the moment, super popular, the Daily Stoic, and some of his, his books. But the Stoics are amazing, Marcus Aurelius, on this, this type of area of just uh, dealing with what you can, can, can deal with. And it's easy to say the practice, my practice isn't, isn't as far from perfect in this area. I find it very hard not to worry about certain, certain things, but negative emotions for me, they, they don't leave anywhere good. Mm. And, and this week, this week today, we've just, uh, as we're doing our recording, uh, Colonel, former Colonel Roland Ladley, 
who is in the Royal Anglians, uh, and is also the author of the espionage book Sam Green. If you want to have a good thriller, oh, he's wow. done the Sam the Sam Green series. You'll enjoy that for some of your holiday reads. Uh, Roland was on the podcast, and and his top tip, uh, which he shared, was that on your watch, something will go wrong. It's probably likely to on your watch as a leader, something will go wrong as a CEO. And it's not the fact that you, as the Stokes would say, that you've had this problem. The problem will have happened. They'll want to ask afterwards why, and, and you'll do your review. But it's the way in which you handle it and you get yourself to solve that problem that marks you out as exceptional or average. And and I think you'd probably, with both of us being Stoke fans, you'd resonate with that. Mega. And I'm sure that you... A Victor Frankl, man search for meaning, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. would be another when we're no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change our, ourselves. His book, one of the most popular books on self-improvement that we can mm. ever have. I, that everything can be taken from a man, him in his uh, concentration camp, but that, but that last human freedom, and that's to choose one's attitude to a given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way in life. So our yeah. choice, mindset, it's a choice, which is why many of these negative emotions. Spot on. Spot on. And this is where some of the patterns that I was learning about recycling or pre-cycling, when you've had a thing that's gone wrong, can you revisualize it and have a different set of emotions and, and, and how you think about it? And that between stimulus and response, you do have choice. That You don't go, I, I had no choice. It had to. No, no, no. You always have choice. You're always a choice. You just give it away. You forget that it's your choice. No one can make you feel bad about yourself unless you give them permission, as Eleanor Roosevelt said. Um, um, st- sorry, stimulation, uh, stimulus and response and the gap in there, that's obviously where the genius is, mm. is found. And I, again, I wish I knew that earlier. Yeah, I, I, I so wish it. I, I know it academically. Intellectually, I know it. But emotionally, I'm, I'm often afterwards, I thought, ah, I missed that chance. I just So you recycle or you pre-cycle before you're going into a difficult meeting. You can visualize a different way of showing up, which is, which is a very interesting exercise. Uh, brand quotient. Um, 360, obviously, you, you've, you have had a number of good executive coaches. Uh, if there was one thing from your own 360 recently that you've learned that you're working on, what, what is it, Sam, if there's a behavior? I'm super aware that personal experiences make up maybe not point not 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 one percent of what's actually happened in the world, but maybe eighty percent of how we think about the world um, for me or for for everybody. And people believe what they've seen. I believe what has happened to me exponentially more than what I could read about has happened to other people. So this idea of being the accumulation of all of our experiences, good and good and good and bad but that means that we're all biased to our personal history and whether that is through grandiosity narratives of success we want to tell our own uh, stories and if I apply my thinking style that has got me to where I am I'm it's not going to get me to where I want to go whether it could be first principles thinking which is difficult, you, you said earlier, talking uh, through stories and uh, telling analogies. But Elon Musk has popularized first principles. So don't think through analogies, break everything down and think completely differently on what is true and what isn't true to get things that haven't happened before. So going back to the psychology 
aspect of things I wished I knew earlier. How do I break my mental models and think through other people's eyes to overcome my own biases, my own conceptions, my own feelings? I think I can get a big performance improvement through that type of feedback. Yeah, good. Well, good luck with that one. Um, finally, of the eight legacy, uh, very briefly, in a sentence, what would you like your legacy in your personal life to be? Not your work. I know your work. I've got that one. What would you like your legacy to be in your personal life? At your graveside, what would your family and friends say about you? Great question, because I my go-to place, sadly, would always be to work and system-wide change and in, enduring, but... I would like my family to say he made a difference. So made like the teachers, like the color sergeants, like the many mentors, like the inspiration leaders I've been exposed to, making a difference. Thank you. Executive teams, you've you've been in many different high-performing teams. You've had toxic individuals in your organization who you've had to get rid of. Uh, and in any place that you've been, you've worked uh, with security companies around the world with some pretty unsavory characters. So how, if there was in, you know, in a minute, what would you share as a way to turn around a toxic team into a high performing team? If there's one top tip you'd share. The first aspect I'd say is high performance individuals don't need to be more around about high performance teams do. So high performance individuals, unique abilities, put them all together, have a great team. But in a toxic team, there are no compromises on what's good for the team. And there are no shortcuts, especially when people aren't watching, which is about the, the culture. No compromises on what's good for the team. There are no shortcuts when people aren't watching. You need three bones for a good team, a wishbone, a backbone, and a funny bone. And so a good team will be laughing lots. They need a strong backbone, a culture worth contributing to, and they need a good vision. Uh, but don't comp compromise one apple rots the rest. Mm, I love that one. I haven't heard that one before. A wishbone, a backbone, and a funny bone. I love that one. Um, in 30 seconds, your favorite book on leadership that you'd recommend? Gosh, you've read so many. If you picked one, what would you recommend the latest? Well, one? well there is a book. Uh, that Clifton Strengths produce called How Fills Your Bucket. And mm -hmm. the reason I like that, I love strengths-based coaching about how full is your bucket. It's about every interaction, leave the person more positive. Don't take from the bucket, give to the, the bucket. So leave the interactions, leave the person better than you found it. A little bit like the All Blacks, leave the shirt better than you, you, you found it. Make mm -hmm. sure that you fill the bucket. You don't take the the body you're not a drain you're a, a radiator not a vacuum love that, love that. I, I do remember reading that some time ago but it's probably worth a reread uh, so finally would you just introduce yourself again sam say what your organization does and give us a two-minute top tip on leadership which stands on its own sure thank you very much again jonathan i'm sam and i'm the chief executive of AES International, a firm in the Middle East that's committed to making the world healthy, wealthy, and wise, or challenging the largely toxic status quo of financial services and pioneering the future vocational profession that makes people lead lives worth, worth living. My top tip is going to be about sustainable sources of competitive advantage. 
because this might be the most important topic in business and in investing in wealth other than luck. And for me, it's the only pathway to long-term success. And that is to either learn faster than your competition, empathize with your customers more than your competition, to communicate more effectively than your competition, be willing and embrace failure more than your competition, or to wait longer than your competition. Everything else, intelligence, design, insight, gets smashed into little pieces by competitors are almost certainly as smart as you are or I, I am. So I think for me, the top tips on practical advice is sources of competitive advantage, whether they apply to life or business, and they're to do with fundamentally the three core values, which I hold very dear, which are about knowledge and learning about integrity and treating people like they want to be treated or teamwork together people can achieve more together than they can individually sam thank you very much indeed it's been fabulous having you on the inspiring leadership podcast i can see why you have been so successful and i wish you continued success thank you once again thank you so much Jonathan. it's been an absolute pleasure every time i speak to you i've got my notepad i'm writing down lots of things and learning more and more and more i really appreciate it thanks sam me too So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you. <music>